Hello everybody, a very warm welcome to Curious About Creativity with your host Steph Turner and Ashley Evenson. Whoop whoop. <laughs> so today we have the amazing Lori Drackley. So she is someone who has big creative significance in my own life but she has recently um, turned her hand to being a full-time textile artist and is exploring the natural dyeing process in her home of Snowdonia in North Wales and I cannot wait to hear about uh, the shift in her uh, creative process and, and her relationship with it and just really excited about being inspired by um, what's kind of present with her at the moment creatively. So bring on Lori. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. It's so exciting to be here with you guys. Oh, we're really made up that you could make it and can't wait to hear what you have to say. So just for our listeners to get a little bit of a sense about you. So Lori is a quilter and natural dye artist from North Wales. She's trained in fine art and textiles at Manchester School of Art um, and has since then spent the next decade working in fashion, retail, social care and personal development. And the pandemic has been a real shift for you, hasn't it, Lori? So you've really rethought your relationship with work and decided that you're actually going to um, become an artist full time. And uh, you're working from your garden studio in the foothills of Snowdonia, an incredibly magical, beautiful place of the world. Um, and you're creating botanical um, colours foraged from paths and fields surrounding your home um, to dye uh, renewed cloth and create hand stitched one-of-a-kind heirlooms and quilts so real far cry from your nine to five beforehand um, and as I said Lori's been a really big part of my own creative journey I met her um actually originally at a meditation retreat um but uh she is also a creative coach and uh she really helped me to take the plunge into being a creative freelancer full-time so I'm so honoured that we get to hear a little bit more about her own creative journey and really excited to hear um, how things are going with so you know with this new um, lease of your creative life on the very um, kind of forefront of where you are at the moment Lori. Yeah well yeah there's been a lot of changes this year like you mentioned there started as a maker full-time as an artist full-time doing that has also um, meant that I'm more connected to the environment around me than I've ever felt before especially through the medium that I've chosen over the years I've tried very different things and finally feel like I've found my my home a calling really to what I'm doing now with the quilts and the cloth and all the natural dyes so yeah it's really exciting Oh, it's so amazing. And I've just seen uh, your finish, your recent finished quilt. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful. I love the stories that are, you, you know, are subtly woven in it, as in all of these incredible dyes you've foraged and collected yourselves. The fact that you're getting, uh, you know, cloths from um, bric-a-brac stores and markets and things like that and re giving them a whole new lease of life so yeah can't wait to hear a little bit more about that later on but really curious to go back to where it all started Lori and to hear about the moment that you realised you were creative or that creativity was going to be a major part of your life. Yes I've been thinking about this one 
I think that we're all born inherently with the skills of making, um, but it's, it needs to be nurtured. And as young children, you know, we want to use our hands a lot. We learn how to pick things up, how to drop them, how to throw them. That's definitely one, isn't it? <laughs> Lots of throwing going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. I think I was very lucky at a young age and through into my teenage years that I was always encouraged to make. My parents were very resourceful, practical people. And because of that, um, making was was a big thing you know we'd fix things if we could although a lot of things now you can't fix you just got to buy them in today's culture a lot of the reason that we don't tend to make is because it's easier isn't it just to go and buy it's more convenient so I was always encouraged to make when I got to to having to think about you know what am I going to go and do after school I didn't really know and there were lots of things that I was doing um out of school singing playing the harp painting would be something I'd do more at home in my own time so in terms of making a choice then it was based on what did I like to do and again, my parents said, you know, what do you like to do? And, and that's the kind of the pathway I went down. So I went to Manchester Uni and I studied embroidery there as a degree, which was really a hybrid course between textiles and fine arts, really exciting. Um, but I came away from the course a bit confused as what was I going to do now? And almost like this creative bubble was burst. So I started working full time, got in the rat race, so to speak. And creativity to me was something that was a bit of a thrill, you know, you know, I didn't like to think of it as a hobby, actually, because I'd spent so much time doing it well, but that there was definitely a perfection element to it. So I stopped, I stopped making for quite a long time. And what happened was <laughs> not good. <laughs> I, um, I felt, started to form anxiety, used to happen a lot. Um, and there's a really good quote by the author Liz Gilbert that I'm going to share with you guys because um, I just think it just sums this up so well. It says, possessing a creative mind is like having a border collie for a pet. If you don't get it a job, it will find a job to do and you might not like the job it invents. And that's, <laughs> I, I, I just relate to that so well, you know. It was like keeping that creativity caged and then, you know, things like, anxiety would pop up or your mind would go to worrisome places so yeah I started singing again and I started making again and that became something that was really important part of my my life because without it it's more like having a vitamin deficiency you know I feel like it's like an emotional characteristic that we all hold um, and when it's nurtured there's definitely a sense of connection that you get um, a sense of belonging that we all need and which is so important for our own mental health as well and our health and it was at that point really I thought oh I am creative and I need to fuel that because without it I'm not myself. I love that quote that you mentioned um, I'm a huge fan of Liz Gilbert for starters um, and I don't know have you read her book Big Magic or Liz Gilbert's just so great though. She's just wonderful and and just her philosophy in terms of 
creativity is, is so so interesting i'd really suggest anyone interested in the creative process to read that book big magic it's so funny because i think one of the things that she talks about in there is like the pre- also the pressure that you put on your own creative practice like <clears throat> i think there was something that she mentioned about i can only say this for myself but like so i i'm a writer and and there's a lot of pressure that i put on myself when i write things of like well, I can only, you know, put it out there if it's going to be like the next bestseller or something like that, or this needs to make sure that I can retire or whatever. And it's like, that's a lot of pressure to put on your creativity. Like, or maybe you could just create something because you need to create. And because of that quote that you had just said of like, of it showing up in a positive way, as opposed to like a really messy and chaotic way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I found for, for me personally, coming out of university there was this pressure that I put on my creativity I wanted it to make me a wage I wanted it to be this magnificent thing um be successful in the you know the terms of like society's idea of what success would bring and it it just quashed it absolutely quashed it so it's such an important point there isn't it that you know, I don't know when the pressure of monetizing something comes in as well, when you're trying to make a living from it, when you, you know, it's so easy to shift what you're making or what you want to create based on what you think the market is, rather than actually perhaps something that's really authentic to you and your own form of creativity. Um, How's that kind of shown up for you in your experience, Larry? Over the years, there are endeavours that I've taken on where I thought, you know, I'd like to try giving that a go I'd like to have my own business and it's never worked and it's usually because um I have this idea first of how something should be and what I want it to be and it just it it quickly just fizzles out my approach now is quite different although I have an end object in mind I don't put too much pressure on on the side of you know how am I going to make money from this um, because I believe that when I'm putting out there those who are going to attune to it are the ones that will come forth if you know what I mean. Yeah absolutely so the right people will see it basically the people who connect with it and you know there's almost like this bigger reciprocity going on between your creativity and your audience so you know that's also about connection with the piece whatever you're making but also that you know that you sort of trust that the process will also you know fulfill a financial um, benefit as well. Yeah and there's something deeper to the work as well um For me, the work is about a sense of belonging to something. What's lovely with quilts is there's such a history with that object. The act of making with my hands and and using colour from nature, I feel that it's linking me to my forebearers. So my focus is more there and, and in the present of making it and in the thought of that this will become an heirloom and this is something that has gone from past present to future then will this make me a living and that in itself is a release from 
the more, I suppose, I'd like to say masculine kind of approach to, to making. It's more, it's more feminine. There's more of a balance between those two things. Um, I'm not sure I've got the balance right just yet, <laughs> but, you know, it's trusting, trusting it as well and seeing that, seeing that manifest in itself. Well, I'm so excited for the world and everyone in it that you have made this brave decision to actually just trust um, your gift and, uh, you know, trust in um, the work that you're doing at the moment, because um, I think there's going to be so many ripple effects for your practice, as well as the impact on, on people seeing your work and the questions it throws up. I love that it's so you know, place-based for you as well, that you're actually doing something incredibly hyper-local. Um, and again, that kind of uh, stories about kind of heirlooms and, you know, in a way you're using things that may have been heirlooms like in the past or things that have, you know, or maybe that weren't heirlooms but were very practical pieces of linen and things like that and actually making something really precious out of things that people have, you know, in a, sort of thrown away in a, in a way, haven't you, as well? I've always loved finding things that others might not love anymore you know going to the charity shops or car boots and thrift sales and things like that and there's been times where I've bought lovely pieces of textiles vintage fabrics but I've never wanted to tear them up um I don't know just something like making a dress out of them just felt again like something that might just be disposed of whereas in a quilt showing those lovely scenes that you might find in a linen or vintage linen within a quilt it gives it life again um that's really exciting but yeah there's the some of the some of the linens most of the things i've been using so far have been you you know you dormer linens beautiful stuff lovely trims even um a linen bed sheet and on on the corner was a picture of a a red nurse and I believe they're the sheets that I used to use like back in the 1940s 50s on beds and I'm just thinking somebody slept on this somebody might have even passed away on this which is sad but you're giving that piece of cloth a new life but also reflecting on where it's been before and I like the idea like thinking about you know where has this been how was this used and bringing that into the work as well to respect it but I don't think we respect cloth like they used to must be so lovely looking for hidden treasures in all of these um, shops and markets and stuff and because can just imagine it and I'm also really curious because I know that you've been based in a gallery recently is that right yeah so um in in Carnarvon which um don't know if your listeners know where that is it's north wales i had arts council funding for for a month and that's where i created my first natural dye quilt um in a collection that i'm going to create um using the colors from around my home oh that it's it's very exciting the colors that form so um, in that quilt itself, the, the colours I used were bracken, avocado, so even things from the kitchen, you know, waste from the kitchen, red cabbage, beetroot, which went a grey colour, which is wow. very exciting. 
um sycamore seeds and I was going to say it in Welsh then uh dock leaves that's one. Oh, we'd love to hear it in Welsh as well go on dial dock <laughs> oh it sounds much better in Welsh oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> really lovely because I think something we've explored quite a number of our with our guests is you know and part of the reason we want to do this podcast is actually often the process of making something or creating something is hidden um from people um as in you know if you're often if you're a visual artist you might be working in your own studio and people only get to see the end result or if you have an open studio but I love that in you know as part of making this quilt you have had you know it's been open it's been you know it's been a dialogue with visitors as well I love that people have been able to kind of uh, see what you're doing have their own sense of curiosity about it and a different way of connecting to it you know without even knowing what the finished product's going to look like I, I really I, I, I think that that's there's something really special about that. I intentionally went into that space and thought of it as an atelier you know, is how the French or the Italians have um, a studio and you can come in and see them working and then, you know, buy from them there and leave. And I wanted that to be part of it. I wanted to be engaging with people. So I thought about how was I going to set dress the space rather than simply go in and start making so that they could have a visual response the smells as well I was putting down oils like you know rose oil as well so that when people came in they were getting the smell the smell of the forage objects that I was using to color these fabrics I would bring in um, examples of what I'd foraged as well so they had a visual to see you know what the actual thing was that I was using to create these colours. That was really, I think that really excited people. And then as the time went on, depending on who was coming in, they were seeing the make the the creative process of the quilt at different stages. A few people came back to see how it had developed and that was really nice. Um but yeah that's that's a really interesting point that because I hadn't really thought about how closed off that process could be, you know, in isolation. Um, when I got to the the part of the hand stitching the quilt, I did feel a sense of wanting to retreat from the gallery at that point. And I think perhaps that's because when I'm hand stitching, there's something very meditative about it. And I find that that's a, a phase in my creative process, which is coming back to me and switching the rest of the world off while I make. So I learned a lot about myself in that process as well, and my creative process, you know. We've probably covered this question, but I suppose just thinking a little bit, um, honing in a little bit more about, you know, now that you are focusing on your creative practice full time, you know, what's changed about your relationship to the practice itself, do you think? I definitely feel more attuned with it, or feel more connected to to the landscape and the rhythm of the seasons than I ever have before. Um, And I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot more in the next 12 months about that as well, because a lot of the, you know, it dictates my colour palette. 
sometimes we think creativity is this like massive expanse but actually sometimes there's sort of rigor and there are boundaries that are really helpful um, with creativity and I really like this idea that almost the kind of seasons and nature is gonna it's gonna provide that container for you a little bit isn't it yeah the the seasons I'm even going to say even my the cyclical flow that's another aspect of it before I, I, I got into this full time, I would document that, you know, my monthly flow and how I felt emotionally and tap into my emotional energy every day. Mm. No, knowing myself in that way has really helped to dictate how I approach a creative project as well. You know, that's a, a really great example of, I suppose, knowing yourself and, and also knowing yourself creatively and how know in some ways mapping that out has made some positive changes in your own life have you got other examples of when you've seen creativity make positive changes in your own life or the lives of other people too it's more meaningful it makes life more meaningful because when the act of making some an object yourself you know it's not about buying stuff and filling your life with that you're making things yourself you're having more of a connection with the things that you were making and that makes you feel like there's more meaning to what you do um so that's a big one Ma- the mindfulness aspect of it when i mentioned there about the hand stitching and seeing the my own hand within a piece of work as well again that's that's really meaningful and then that sense of belonging and connection. So making an object which is going to have its own life and be passed on to future generations as an heirloom, I hope. Um, there's a connection to that as well. And to think of my my own, you know, my own ancestors. And I know that some of them were, were dressmakers, quilt makers when I look back at the history of Welsh quilts you know it's really interesting to find out more about that and to know that I belong to something a thread like that that's running through um, that's that's definitely brings me a lot more fulfillment and life feels far more fulfilled than it has um, and, and more connected than ever before. Just a note to listeners that lowery sound quality goes down here due to some technical issues. Please don't think it's any of your devices. What do you think the major or the minor barriers to creativity are? And I think I can imagine that you've got a lot of experience here to draw from from your creative coaching as well and kind of seeing some of those barriers in real time for people, plus thinking about your own as well. So I'd love to hear your perspectives. Perfectionism is a big one. A lot of it is it stems from fear, though, and I think that has been one of the biggest barriers for me in terms of creativity. But there, it's about how you reframe the narrative. So in the past, I've wanted everything to be perfect. I've wanted to meet my seams perfectly, hand stitching look as if it's been done by a machine, even though it's done by hand, which sounds so alien to me to say that now. Um, while I was at uni I was doing a lot of sort of couture type work and it was always very precision and making sure you know all every stitch was the same size and now I don't 
I don't care about those things anymore. I think seeing those imperfections adds character to the work. I was quite extreme. Like even objects that I'd own, if they had a nick in them or something like that, I'd be I'd really upset myself about it. And to me, that's an element of being quite highly strung, I think. And I think that was drawn upon in school and wanting to do the best I could do and follow the guidelines that we were given to the T and show that I could do it perfectly. You know, it even could kick in now, like within a podcast, am I doing this properly? And it comes out that the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi, I hopefully I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> there you go, who, who it doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, that is about seeing the imperfections as the beauty. And I like that idea, especially when I think of it in terms of my creative, my own creative practice now, that every piece of fabric is going to be different. Everything that is dyed naturally isn't going to be exactly the same. The colours are not going to match. And that's okay. Every stitch doesn't have to be perfect because it shows that element of the of the hand of the maker and then as I released these pieces of art into the world it doesn't matter if they get torn or if they're they're used that's what they're there for they're an object to be used and that only adds to their their character um, and gives them more story and more atmosphere and that to me in itself as, as has been a big learning curve and a big release to just allow myself to do things. I have a question for our listeners who might not know what it is. What is, is it wabi-sabi? What did you, what is that? Wabi-sabi is um, a Japanese philosophy that sees the beauty in the imperfect and sometimes they'll decorate that so you might have seen pots that have cracked and then they've put them back together and they've then put gold within the tear or the crack to celebrate it to celebrate the fact that it's been broken and then it's come back together again that's really beautiful isn't it it's lovely and the idea of repairing it there's um Borrow, I think it is Japanese. It's a yeah, borrow, B-O-R-O, which is a, a a way of stitching that the Japanese. Hang on, I'm gonna have to look this up for your listeners. Hang on, I've got a really good book here. Actually, for listeners, really good book by the author Molly Martin. It's the Art of Repair, and it's a wonderful book. And she talks about wabi-sabi in here she also talks about you know mending things and I think that's another element to to textiles is if it ever does become damaged then you can celebrate that element of it um through visible repair and it just adds another element to it another characteristic which I think is lovely it's a practice of reworking and repairing textiles so 
um, kind of it means something tattered or repaired apparently so yeah and it, it reinforces the fabric with with this Japanese stitch and and what they used to do was they used to have patches of fabric because fabric was so expensive and they used to attach you know attach these little pieces of fabric to make sure that that coat kept going so that they could keep you know keep themselves warm it's so interesting isn't it in such a short space of time textiles has is so throwaway now and and how quickly that has actually changed because that must be only in a few decades that that has massively changed only mm. really probably you know our parents generation my mum fixes stuff still I think that was probably the shift of when things changed but you know now nowadays you literally if you wear something it's got a hole in it you just chuck it or you take it to a charity shop or something like there's no um incentive really is there to to repair because things are really cheap but there is something about reclaiming you know the the connecting and restorative and meditative um qualities that sewing and repair has and i've just got um i've just noticed my denim jacket has two tears in i've had i've had that jacket for 14 years and i got that second hand from ebay anyway this is on a massive tangent but i have recently been reading about um sashiko and boro and really excited about uh actually making right, celebrating the repair um and finding fun and learning a new technique and playing with the other fabric that i can back it with and making it really contrasting so yeah, there's so much in all of that, isn't there? So much thing, so many things to be discovered. Um, you know, it's also a sort of commentary on on the social and environmental world we find ourselves in today as well. Again, it makes that jacket that is already has some meaning to you more meaningful because you'll remember, ah, oh, that's that time when I patched it up, or the next time it tears and you do that again, it gives it more of a it gives it character and it gives it a story and it's interesting as well where you know from the wear and tear of the object you start to learn more about the person who it belongs to you know that tear might be in your on your cuff or you know somewhere that's rubbing more against your bag or something that's unique to you stuff than somebody else who would wear it, it might it might tear elsewhere and I think that's really interesting because it's almost like you're leaving your mark on it so true what helps you when you've got a creative block I mean that might be something related to perfectionism or it could be I don't know tiredness it could be loads of different things is there anything in particular that helps you when you experience those blocks in your work well usually to try and get out of my head because that's what usually what's happened for me it's about taking time away from whatever you're making, getting reconnecting to the outdoors, so getting outside, going for a walk would usually be what I'd do. Another thing I think that we can be a barrier actually is that we think that we need to go and learn all the things first before we can do it. And I have definitely done that in the past. You know, I need to read this book. I need to learn how to do this. But when it's come to this medium, I have approached it very differently. 
sometimes it's been because I've almost been put into a position where I've had David's mum, my boyfriend, she's just wonderful and she'll say I've um I've been foraging this morning I've got these things for you and I think I can't possibly let those go to waste I have to make a dive at now and I remember the first time I did a dive at I hadn't prepared fabrics I hadn't taken them through the techniques in order to make sure that they take the color and usually I would I know my what I'd be like starting a new project I'd need to have everything lined out first but this put me in a position where I thought I'm just going to give it a go I'm just going to see what happens and experiment and that really was a release for me ever since then it's just been embracing the experimental part of the natural dye and I think because that is so intrinsic to the process it has um, maybe loosened me up a bit it's about that experimenting. I'm not looking for something specific. I'm throwing it in there and seeing what what's the result, and it's exciting. And then, and then the more methodical processes, how I piece these together, and um, creating the quilts. So, it's almost like embedded in the creative process, which is yeah, it's really that's uh, quite exciting. I haven't really thought of it until now like that. Yeah, so many gifts in what you're saying. And I really, it's really inspiring to hear about this huge major shift and just being kind of bearing witness to some of of that that's happening for you at the moment. I should say one of the um, questions we asked you earlier was, um, where have you seen creativity make positive changes in your own life or the life of others? Um, But I just want to say that personally, you've made a huge um, positive change. Your creativity has really inspired me. Um, So as I said earlier, so I'm just fangirling you today because I really want to. Um, But also through the pandemic, I was so inspired by your embroidery and your creative practice. It was something that I took um, as a way to again just process what was happening and we did some kind of uh, make-alongs didn't we on zoom together yeah and that has really transformed my creative practice so now I do so much more embroidery I'm really trying to build that into my practice so and that is all um, from a seed that you have kindly shared um, with me so thank you so much for that I am so appreciative of it it's that realizing isn't it I think um that realizing that actually creativity is one of our characteristics we all have it and that if we neglect it it's quite sad you know we need to nurture our creativity in whatever way or medium is right for you and and it's about having that curiosity and following those breadcrumbs you know if that thing's interesting to you give that a go or try that and if if you are trying various different things that over the next you know six 12 months or even for me it was like over the last decade that's okay um I used to get caught up a lot and feeling like oh I'm fickle why don't I know what I want to do why why am I not finishing that because I'm going on to the next thing and trying that but eventually something is going to click and I think for me then saying fully yes to creativity and giving my creative practice all my time now which um you know I I feel so privileged to be able to do that 
but it has meant that it's all come together now and made a lot more more sense for me and just feels I just feel more myself than ever before because I think we all are inherently creative anyway and um, the more you can embrace that part of you the better. Before we end today's session, we always have a quick fire round with our guests. So I'm going to hand over to Ashley, who's going to take you through that one. Don't panic. Yeah, I have to give you the caveat that um, so far nobody's done this in a quick way whatsoever. So, um, <laughs> but it is it is supposed to be a quick fire round. Um, okay, first question is, finish the sentence. Creativity is? Creativity is? Life. Did you say my life? Yeah, my life. Okay. Oh, I love that. Um, next one, finish the sentence. Something that is inspiring me now is? Something that is inspiring me now are the landscape and the architecture that I came across on a recent trip to Sussex, a place called Rye in Sussex that is what is inspiring me right now interesting i love that okay if you had to listen to one song on repeat what would it be oh no i just randomly came into my head but um george michael <laughs> is it is it have faith is yes! it you gotta have, have faith? faith yeah you gotta have faith oh i love that Okay, um, you can have one piece of artwork, some sort of visual art in your home, money being no object, what artwork would you have and who would it be by? Oh, um, Karen Nichol, who is a, a wonderful embroiderer, um, and I just like to have all her pieces of work, if many would know. And if you had to pick any film to represent your creative journey, what would it be? Oh my God, that's so hard. I think everyone says this. They're like, why Does would you do this to, to me? Disney? Do they go to like Disney? I don't or... think anyone has yet. I went for Bridget Jones, so the bar is fairly low. <laughs> Bridget Jones. Um... Oh, do you know what? I want to say Miss Maisel, but it re I don't know how my life relates to it, but I just love it so much. Is that the fabulous, is it, is it yeah. the fabulous Mrs. Maisel? Yeah, I love that. Because yeah. I like the dresses and then the 1950s. I just, it's more like, not that it represents my life, but I'd like to live in that era again. Okay, <laughs> that works. Okay, and then final question. If you were to inspire a young person or even your younger self, what book would you gift them on their creative journey? Oh, Liz Gilbert, um, Big Magic. And I'd also say to them, like just adding a caveat to that one, a lot of people ask you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I like to say to my niece, what do you want to make when you grow up? Oh, I love that. And the answers are hilarious. But it's just, I think it's just a really nice approach. What do you want to make when you grow up? I'm writing had, that down. I'll just share some of the answers that I've had. Um, one was 
um, she'd like to make a quilt because I was making one. Another one was she would like to make a pipe um, that goes in a hole in the ground. <laughs> so random, but I love it. <laughs> I love, I love that. I just want to make a pipe. <laughs> yeah, I want to make a. I. It was a red pipe, put in a hole in a ground in the ground. And I, awesome. I think it's really important, though. I think we should ban. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, it's so loaded, isn't it? And it's so intertwined yeah. into some of these conversations we're having about how you place, you know, your commodify your your work and your sense of self and identity for all of this stuff. So yeah, really important. Yeah, to... and that's the other thing, you know, when you meet people, it's so easy to say, oh, you know, what do you do? But I always love to ask people what inspires you I mean sometimes I get some weird look but you know most <laughs> of the times it's like quite good responses beautiful I love it oh Larry thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom and sharing you know just your really profound creative journey and I know how kind of live it is for you at the moment so it's really generous um, for you to come and talk about it so openly um, if people want to find more um, find out more about you or want to get in touch what's the best way for them to connect with you the best place would be on Instagram at Lori Drackley and I share a lot of my creative process on there on my story so yeah I'd say that would for now that would be the best place find me fantastic we'll pop that in the show notes so um everyone can click straight through and have a look at the beautiful work that you create but yeah thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure yeah oh, thank, thank you, you so much it's been lovely so welcome take care everybody yeah are we, are we all going now Thank you for listening to Curious About Creativity. If you like what you heard today, please like, review, share, and subscribe. If you leave us a review, it helps more people find us. A big thank you to our wonderful guest today, Lori Drackley, for her time. Curious About Creativity is hosted by Steph Turner and Ashley Evenson. Music is by Twins Music. It's edited by Bex Deverage and produced by Bex Deverage, Ashley Evenson, and Steph Turner.